Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kid Kong at the Movies. Last time you guys tuned in, you heard me and Ian discussing the monstrosity that is Dragon Ball Evolution. Well, that's okay, because after we got done with that... Well, first we watched New Mutants, because that was absolutely spectacular. Yes, yes. Very, and, very underrated. And at some point, I'm actually going to talk about that movie probably earlier than I normally intend to, simply because there's a lot of good that came out of that. But... Today, we're going to talk about the flip side of that Dragon Ball coin, the deal that we made. Ian had to watch Batman and Robin from 1997, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. This is directed by Joel Schumacher, who passed away just two years ago in 2020. Of course, Joel, Sch <laughs> Joel Schumacher, in addition to Batman and Robin and Batman Forever, he's had some really good films. He did St. Elmo's Fire, The Lost Boys, Flatliners, A Time to Kill... Phantom of the Opera, and he also did Phone Booth, which is going to be an upcoming episode at some point as well. Uh, it was written by Akiva Goldsman. If that name sounds familiar to you at all, it's because he also helped write I Am Legend, in addition to writing I, Robot, and The Da Vinci Code. Television-wise, he's written quite a few episodes of Titans and the Star Trek Picard series. It was distributed by Warner Brothers. Um, the synopsis of this movie, I guess, is... Freeze decides he needs to use diamonds to help him freeze the city to hold them ransom for money to cure his wife, while Poison Ivy is a, a very henpecked scientist who gets mixed in with chemicals thanks to Jason Woodrow, who, as far as I'm aware, Woodrow and Poison Ivy don't exactly have a whole lot of overlap in the comics. No, no, they didn't. <laughs> and Jason Woodrow also <laughs> creates Bane out of a very diminutive little shrimpy uh, convict who then grows into a muscle-bound moron. And, of course, Poison Ivy's in love with Freeze, which that's no. Uh, <laughs> it was, this, this movie sucked. Let, let's not sugarcoat it. It was made on a $160 million budget, and it pulled in about $238 million at the box office. Now, when you factor in the fact that they spent between $125 and $185 million on tie-in marketing and merchandise, this was a loss. This movie had no good reviews, and it ultimately led not only to the cancellation of the further movies that were planned in the franchise, which we'll discuss them briefly, but it also led directly to the reboot with Christian Bale, Batman Begins. This is the only one of the original four Batman movies that came out from 89 through 97 to not have any involvement whatsoever from Tim Burton. Because Tim Burton was involved with Batman Forever, mm -hmm. at least in a, an executive producer role. Mm -hmm. However, Michael Keaton is returning as Batman in the upcoming Flash movie in the DC Extended Universe of Movies. So at the very least, if you, like me, were first exposed to Batman through the 1989 Batman movies, you're going to get some sense of closure out of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, this cast is a little bit of a, <laughs> a what-the-hell kind of thing. Uh, Mr. Freeze was played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Of course, Mr. Freeze's alter ego being Victor Freeze. Schwarzenegger, I've covered him before when I talked about uh, kindergarten cop but being as that was almost exactly a year ago um you, you know he was in pumping iron that was his first real theatrical thing 
He's been in the series for Conan, the Terminator series. Uh, he appeared in Commando, Predator, Running Man, Twins, Total Recall, Last Action Hero, True Lies, Jingle All the Way, The Sixth Day. He was in some kind of, I don't want to say niche independent films when he stopped being a governor. Would you think Maggie would be more of an independent film? Yes. And that was that was awesome. I enjoyed that tremendously. It was very out of the expected with Schwarzenegger. Yes. But he took a very long break from acting because, you know, you can't act if you're a governor that's considered not necessarily a conflict of interest, but it's an outside source of income and it can possibly, oh, well, you're making movies in California. You're the governor of California. What are these guys trying to get you to do that they might want? Yeah. Batman, also known as Bruce Wayne, was played by George Clooney. Now, I really recently covered George Clooney when Cal was on here and when we talked about uh, The Perfect Storm. However, you know, he's been from dust till dawn. He was on ER. Uh, probably the, the if I had to pick any movie with him in it to tell somebody to watch, it is absolutely The Descendants. Yes. And I know you agree with me on that. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean... He he knocked it out of the park, and mm -hmm. he should. To me, in the Descendants, Clooney really showed what he was capable of as a dramatic actor, showcasing his chops in a way that I think we had never really seen before. Agreed. I think honestly that is probably one of the peaks of his career, and it's a shame that it's not talked about more. Agreed. Robin was played by Chris O'Donnell. Chris O'Donnell's first movies were *Son of a Woman* and *School Ties*, but he also appeared in *Vertical Limit*. He was in Fried Green Tomatoes. He was in Max Payne. Most recently and most consistently, he has been on NCIS Los Angeles. I saw the look on your face. You're not a huge fan of Chris O'Donnell. I can see it. I didn't say that. I love Send of a Woman. I just feel like, you know, O'Donnell was in uh, Batman Forever, and I feel like he realized, like, maybe the writing's on the wall, and he was trying to make the most of what he had to work with in that, this film. That could very well be. I mean, it could have been worse. We were supposed to get Marlon Wayans as Robin. This is true. That would have been much worse. <laughs> yeah. Pamela Isley, a.k.a. Poison Ivy, was played by Uma Thurman. Of course, Uma Thurman, probably best known for the Kill Bill movies, uh, has also appeared, of course, in Pulp Fiction, Robin Hood, Dangerous Liaisons. The 1998 movie of Les Mis, she was in movie 43, and she was also in Be Cool. Now, the reason I say she's probably best known for Kill Bill, prior to Kill Bill, it would have absolutely been Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. But Kill Bill was a massive thing for her. Oh, yeah. yeah. Massive thing for, for Quentin Tarantino as well. Batgirl, Barbara Wilson, which is not who Batgirl is, was played by Alicia Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone was in The Crush and then exploded into stardom with Clueless, which is actually what got her this role. She had signed a massive deal with 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers to be in multiple movies. Since then, she was in Excess Baggage, Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed, Beauty and the Beast, Tropic Thunder. But my favorite Alicia Silverstone movie, if any, is Blast from the Past with Brendan Fraser. That's a really good movie, and it really doesn't get talked about as much as some of Brendan Fraser's other films. I remember watching it, but I actually recall very little. Also, I'd like to amend... Uh, I think what truly started Alicia Silverstone's career was her trilogy of Aerosmith videos for the album Get a Grip. Well, here or there, I'm talking about Hollywood, but all right. Well, no, I mean, I mean that's what <laughs> made her name. Yeah. And the third video in the trilogy was also the debut of Liv Tyler. All right, all right, I'll give you that. Alfred Pennyworth was played by Michael Goh, who passed away in 2011. 
The dude was in over 150 films throughout mm-hmm. his career that began all the way back in the 40s. Some of the ones that may actually stick out to others are Trog, Galileo, Top Secret. His final role was in Alice in Wonderland, where he provided a voice, and he was also in Sleepy Hollow. Some of you British film fans will recognize him more for his appearances on, on Doctor Who. Commissioner James Gordon was played by Pat Hingle, who passed away in 2009. Pat Hingle was in The Untouchables, Daniel Boone. Hang him high. He was in Muppets from Space. He was in Maximum Overdrive as well. He was in Sudden Impact. He was the narrator of Land Before Time. He was in Talladega Nights, where he played the owner of the company that Will Ferrell's character was racing for. And he was also in The Quick and the Dead. I'm really glad you mentioned The Quick and the Dead. That, oh, yeah, that he movie did a good just, job at that bartender. That movie does not get enough. No, it really doesn't. It's in no way, shape, or form in any way at all like the Louis L'Amour novel. No. Nor is it like the movie that Sam Elliott was in. No. It was The Quick and the Dead in name only, but I greatly enjoy that film. Yes. Dr. Jason Woodrow, we mentioned him a little bit earlier, was played by John Glover. John Glover was in Annie Hall, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, and Scrooge. But he also was in Payback. He was the head of the science department in Gremlins 2, the new batch. But to me, I recognize him the most as playing Lionel Luther in Smallville. And he did a really good job with that role. He And honestly, he had probably the best redemption arc of any character in any of the CW shows they've tried to do. Because he went from being a straight-up antagonist at the beginning of Smallville to almost being another father figure for Clark in that series. To the point that he actually embodies Jor-El and tries to help Clark along his way to being Superman. So, so it was like a reverse Norman Osborn. Yes, if you will. Uh, and we're not talking about No Way Home because that's way too recent. Uh, the character Julie Madison, who was Bruce Wayne's paramour, if not outright fiance in this film, was played by Elle McPherson. Elle McPherson was in Sirens, Jane Eyre, and was on TV in the TV series Friends as the hot model roommate that, or hot dancer roommate rather, that Joey gets right after Chandler moves out. But her biggest film role other than this was probably in The Edge, where she played Anthony Hopkins' trophy wife character, which we discussed, myself and Kyle discussed The Edge way back on my first actor showcase where we talked about Bart the Bear. Also, I don't, uh, real quick, I mean, uh, I would think that Elle McPherson's claim to fame doesn't have anything to do with film, but with her supermodel career, where she was known as Elle the Body. Oh, absolutely. She has the record for most covers of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Yeah. I had three of them. I don't know what happened to them. Anyway, uh, there is a... I don't know why the hell they put this character in, and I don't know why this was her name, but the woman who was interested in, in Freeze that worked for him was named Miss B. Haven. And she was played by Vivica A. Fox. Of course, I talked about Vivica A. Fox with Independence Day, but she's also been at Booty Call, Soul Food, Kill Bill as well, Ella Enchanted, and she also had a long run on Days of Our Lives. Lastly, Bane. Bane was portrayed by Jeep Swenson, a former professional wrestler who passed away in 1997. Now, if you recognize him at all, it is probably not from Big Brawl, and it is probably not from No Holds Barred. He plays the giant bald henchman in the movie Bulletproof. You recognize that? You yeah, remember that? Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. As do I. Now, the role that Elle McPherson had as Julie Madison 
That is the socialite that is usually in trouble in the very early Batman comics that Batman has to say. The gossip reporter that we get in that was played by Elizabeth Sanders. Do you know who that is? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I can't really. That is the that. wife of Bob Kane, creator of Batman. Okay. Uh, uh, Co-creator. Yeah, we're not discussing that. Yeah. That's, that's for a later conversation <laughs> at some point. And we also get Coolio in this film in a very brief role. Thankfully. <laughs> His role in this film was Jonathan Crane. He would have appeared as Scarecrow in the following movie. Thank God for small favors. Uh, the young Bruce Wayne that we see briefly in little snippets was played by Eric Lloyd. That is not the Lloyd that was the Anakin Skywalker. No, it's I, Jake Lloyd. Yeah, it's Jake Lloyd. Eric Lloyd played Tim Allen's son in the Santa Claus movies. I honestly don't know why Disney think this is a good idea, but we're apparently getting a Disney Plus series about the Santa Claus that Tim Allen has already signed on to come back as. Well, the good news is he probably doesn't have to dye his hair anymore. Yeah. Development on this film was expedited due to the success of Batman Forever. Now, for those of you that aren't aware, Batman 1989 was probably the biggest comic book movie to come out since the first Superman movie. It really helped revitalize popularity for certain comic book characters, and then it led directly to the animated series. A lot of people were kind of surprised because, you know, when Michael Keaton was cast as Batman, they're like, you're casting Beetlejuice? Mr. Mom? Really? Tim Burton saw a darkness in Keaton with Beetlejuice and wanted to explore that. It was a great success. Batman Returns, mm, that was more looked at as a Tim Burton movie that happened to have Batman in it. It was well, yeah. very dark and it was very difficult for toy companies to sell toys based on this, because most parents felt it was too dark for their children to watch, well, including McDonald's with their Happy Meals. Well, Burton had more creative control when it came to Batman Returns, because, you know, Warner Brothers saw the receipts for, you know, the 89 Batman, and of course they wanted him to come back to repeat or, or surpass that, and he was like, I'll do that if I have more control. Yeah, they, they should have uh, limited that. Um, as a side note, the actor that plays Oswald Cobblepot's father in Batman Returns was Paul Rubens, better known as Pee Wee Herman. Mm -hmm. um, because of the darkness of that and the difficulty they had selling toys and the fact that McDonald's didn't want to sell toys for, the for that movie. They're like, this is right. too dark and we're right. not going to be able to sell this with our kids' meals. Because of that, an overhaul was done. Joel Schumacher was brought in to direct. Bruce Wayne, uh, Joel, um, Tim Burton was attached as an executive producer, and Michael Keaton decided not to come back as Batman because he did not think that they needed to go lighter with the character from what they did. He said, it's all right if you don't go darker, but once you've gone darker, you can't lighten that up like that. No, you can't. You, you can't take a step forward and then take two steps back. So Val Kilmer was signed on. I've had my opinions on Val Kilmer in the past, but that movie was designed to try and... Be more of a family-friendly picture. And they even argued the whole point with the Happy Meal thing in the very beginning of the movie when Alfred says to Batman, can I persuade you to take a sandwich with you? And what does he say? I'll get drive through Ugh. Because of the success of that film and how much money it made, they decided we need to hurry up and get this second movie out. 
it was fast-tracked for a June release. Normally, they were going to be doing a three-year gap. This did not even get a full year. Shows. Yeah. Schumacher wanted to pay homage to the 60s campy style, as well as pay homage to the work of Dick Sprang on Batman. You know... I'm very familiar, yeah. You know, Dick Sprang is the one who introduced the whole the square-jawed, barrel-chested, big... I don't know why they thought Bill that George Clooney was that, but okay. Um... He also is probably best known for the design he did on the Batmobile. Uh, the entire story for this film was written during pre-production for A Time to Kill in less than three weeks. Again, it shows. It shows. They, one of the reasons they were able to do that was they felt that by adapting aspects of Heart of Ice from the animated series... They would not have to worry about writing as much story if they could just take that. Oh, they didn't. <laughs> Look, Heart of Ice won an Emmy. Yeah, Heart yeah. of Ice, to this day, is a fantastic episode. And in all of the Batman animated series they have done to date, the things they did with Freeze in the original Batman animated series honestly stands out amongst all the rest of them. And I have felt for years that Freeze deserves justice. They need to try and do the character again. We'll discuss that in a minute. Goldsman had a lot of concerns about this. And he brought those concerns to Schumacher. And they were overruled by Schumacher and Warner Brothers. Now, when it came time to cast Batman, there are various reasons why that have been given for Kilmer deciding not to return. Including that he was fired or quit during the production of Batman Forever towards the tail end that he wanted to sign on to work with Marlon Brando in The Island of Dr. Moreau, that episode is coming, ladies and gentlemen. And that will probably be at least a two-part episode, because there's a lot that went into what went wrong with that film. He also was apparently already committed to The Saint. I think, I don't think it's any of those reasons. I think it's a combination of him probably being difficult to work with at times on Batman Forever, yeah. And they probably saw him get a deal for the Saint, and knowing that it was going to be expedited, knew there was no way he was going to be able to sign on. David Duchovny claims that he was in talks to take over the role as Bruce Wayne Batman, but says that ultimately what cost him that was his nose. I don't know if Duchovny's joking about that. I don't really think Mulder would have been a great choice for Batman. I'm a big Duchovny fan, and even I have to agree. Uh, yeah. I, I love Fox Mulder, but he's no Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, but also saying that, <clears throat> Duchovny can be very self-effacing. I can see him saying something like that just to joke on himself. That's true. Uh, the Schumacher wanted William Baldwin. God, yeah. The studio said no. The studio wanted George Clooney because they felt that Clooney could be more lighthearted. And that's one of the things they were trying to go for with this. Not only that... But they worked around his schedule for ER, which, if you've seen the movie, explains why we don't get a whole lot of Batman right. in this film compared to the last three. Mr. Freeze. All right, so we all know we got the cold pun cracking Arnold Schwarzenegger in this film. <laughs> he was not who was initially wanted. Ed Harris, Patrick Stewart, and Anthony Hopkins were all considered for the role of Mr. Freeze. However... They wanted to rewrite this character for the movie as more of a physical threat for Batman. Because they're like, we already had the mental threat with the Riddler. Mm. Mm, that's loose. Uh, we had 
weapons coming from Two-Face, although it was really more in line with the Joker than anything else. Yeah. And you also had, from Penguin, he was able to come at him from the aspect of being rich, being a socialite, which is one of the things they do really well with Penguin in the comics. And, of course, you had uh, Catwoman, but we're not talking about that either. Um, So they wanted to rewrite it and have him with more of a physical threat. To that end, they wanted him like to look like he'd been chiseled out of a glacier. Who do you go for in action movies like that in the 90s? There's only one. There's only one. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just like today, it's The Rock. Back then, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. They offered him $15 million for this role. Schwarzenegger said, sure, that sounds good. What all would it entail? They told him about the various makeup projects he would go through. And they told him he would need to shave his head. He said, I'm not shaving my head. But we need him to be bald. I'm not shaving my head. All right, will you do it for a bald cap? I will, but now it's going to be $25 million. They gave it to him. $25 million. Plus, he got top billing and a portion of the receipts of the box office. So he made a killing oh, yeah. off this movie. Yeah. And you can kind of tell that he's enjoying himself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, for all the problems you had with this movie, and we're going to get to that here in a little bit, for everything that was wrong with it, the two things you enjoyed the most about this film was Schwarzenegger as Freeze and Bane. Absolutely. Uh, his armor was built by a legitimate English armorer for $1.5 million. He had makeup that took over six to eight hours to apply at a time. He would have a blue LED light in his mouth. Yep. Uh, I mean, and again, the dude had fun with himself. Oh, you can yeah. clearly see it. Poison Ivy, Demi Moore, Sharon Stone, and Julia Roberts were all considered for the role. Of those three, I think Demi Moore was probably the only one that could have possibly done it. Agreed. This is around the time that Sharon Stone had brain damage in her life. <laughs> like, I don't know if that would have been a good idea, and I'm sorry, I cannot, cannot see Julia Roberts as Poison Ivy. No. No. Although, you know, it... it... The Aaron Brockovich jokes alone might have been funny, but... Well, no, I, I was actually going to say that could have been like a precursor down the road for uh, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, no. Um, ultimately, Uma Thurman got it. She liked the femme fatale aspect of it. Funny enough, Nicole Kidman was in talks to play Poison Ivy in Batman Forever. However, they decided to rewrite the character as a psychologist and created a new character. I don't think Nicole Kidman would have been bad at that. I, I agree completely. Silverstone was the only choice for Batgirl, and the character was modified for her, including making her Alfred's niece, how a supposedly 17-year-old high school student is the niece of a man in his 80s, I will never understand. That is some Sam Raimi Aunt May bullshit, but it is what it is. (laughs) She also was trained by a stunt coordinator to ride a motorcycle for the film. Principal photography was meant to begin August of 96. However, they were not able to start until September 12th of 96. They finished in January of 97, two weeks early. So not only were they unable to get this started on time, they decided to make up for this by finishing two weeks early. It was filmed mostly on location in Burbank, California. Yeah, because, you know... When I think of Gotham City, you think I of think sunny Cal- Southern California. California. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
many, many <laughs> crew members and cast members had complaints about the way this film was filmed. Some of them felt that the scheduling was too soft. Some felt the costumes were uncomfortable. Specifically, Chris O'Donnell said that he liked the way the costume fit him in Batman Forever. He did not like how it was in Batman and Robin because he said, one, we had four different costumes that we had to wear. Two, they redesigned the costumes and gave them exaggerated cod pieces. The male suits had nipples. And he said, I will never understand why they needed to focus on mine and George's asses the way they did. Pardon my French, ladies and gentlemen. Shooting took, as short as the shooting was, they felt that they were shooting an overlong toy commercial. And Uma Thurman said that there'd be times they'd be getting ready to film. She'd be trying to get into character as Poison Ivy. And right before he would shout action, Schumacher would shout into his megaphone to remember everybody, this is a cartoon. And it's very difficult to get into character for what you're trying to take as a serious role when you're being told to do it as a cartoon. The production designer admitted that she based Gotham City on the very neon-heavy Tokyo and the Machine Age and described it as a world's fair on ecstasy. That's not a bad description. It's really not. And I think I said on more than one occasion when it would focus unnecessarily on a male's rear end or you would see overtly muscular, oiled-up men in tiny thong bikini things, a Joel Schumacher film, you say. Because Joel Schumacher was very well known for being out of the closet. He was very... And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. No. Not. In any way, shape, or form. There has been a lot of homoerotic commentary about Batman and Robin for 80 years. Yeah. We don't need to hit it on the nose sometimes, folks. We really don't. Yeah. Also, you know, you said, you know, greased up guy. It makes me think of uh, the saxophone player from uh, The Lost Boys. Billy Again. Cap- Timmy Capella. Yeah. That was 100%. Planned. The only thing he did was he told Schumacher, it's a little cold out. Can I wear jeans? Because he's known for doing it in a thong, usually. This is true, yeah. Don't ask me how I know that. Uh, as I said earlier, Warner Brothers spent between $125 and $180 million in marketing, in addition to the $160 million budget. Toy companies were part of pre-production and design meetings for this movie. The hell you said. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> for characters and vehicles. Now, to his credit, Schumacher felt that the marketing strategy was a little bit too toy heavy. Really? Well, you can tell that, that money went towards things that it didn't need to because it damn sure didn't go to some of the video editing. We'll get to that soon here, too. Uh, multiple rides at several Six Flags parks in Texas were based on the film. Taco Bell Bell had contests to win a life-size replica of the Batmobile. Wow. That ended up making it into a Drew Carey episode, and Drew gets the Batmobile taken away from him because a cop finds him and his girlfriend having sex in it. As as you would. I was about to say, you beat me to it by like that much. I was going to say, as a grown man, if I had the Batmobile, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. 100%. They made all, they spent a lot of money on this for it to be such a terrible movie. My God. It made $42 million opening weekend, though. And then dropped over 70% when it had competition. The next week. From Face Off, Hercules, and Men in Black. 
Men in Black is understandable. I've talked about about Men in Black on this show before. That's understandable. And Face Off is the most Nicolas Cagey, Nicolas Cage movie I've ever seen in my life. That man had the time of his life from the moment they said action to the moment they said Nicolas Cage has wrapped filming. Especially in these opening sequence when he's in the priest's uniform. Yes. My God. I, I watched that. that. I watched that scene on YouTube just when I need a laugh. I won't even need to watch the movie. It uh, pulled in a total of $107 million in the North American box office and $130 million worldwide. Schumacher blames yellow journalism as to why the film was not a success. Ian, you know what yellow journalism is, right? I know exactly what it is. It's like deliberately bad press. Yeah, yeah. No, the movie just sucked. Agreed. Egregiously sucked. This is considered one of the worst superhero films of all time, and one of the worst films of all time. Uh, yes. I, I, it got bad reviews from critics. It got bad reviews from audiences. Schumacher blames that it, the fact that it was being fast-tracked and that he was forced to make it more family-friendly as to why the movie was not good. I don't necessarily agree with that. If you look at the progression from Batman Returns to Batman and Robin, the way Batman Forever was is 100% that middle step in between what we got. Yes. George Looney has called this one of the wastes of his career. He said it was a a titanic waste of money, and that were it not for the fact that we got Batman Begins... His biggest contribution to Hollywood would have been he would have been known as the man who killed Batman as a franchise. I don't necessarily disagree with that. No, I I, I don't either. And as much as I enjoy Clooney as an actor now, there are a lot of like idiosyncrasies in his performance in this movie. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And also in latter years, he also admitted that he played Bruce Wayne gay. Again. There is nothing wrong with portraying gay characters on screen. Not at all. Batman's not gay. No. <laughs> um, and, and, and I mean, there are a laundry list of fictional socialites to, you know, agree with. <laughs> yes. You know. Uh, I'm not. We're not talking about that though. <laughs> this this movie killed the next planned sequel. And the two sequels they had planned after it. They wanted this to be a seven series movie. Basically. Uh, George Clooney was not going to return. Uh, from what I understand. Again Schumacher wanted William Baldwin to take over the role. Um, there, There's information out there as to how the sequel would have gone. We would have gotten Harley Quinn. She would have been introduced as the Joker's daughter. Um, at various times. Julio and Howard Stern were attached to be the Scarecrow. (laughs) I would rather see Howard Stern. And it's not that I dislike Julio. We all loved Gangster's Paradise back in the day. But Jonathan Crane, he is not. And and when it comes to Howard Stern, I'd rather watch Private Parts before I'd ever want to watch him as the Scarecrow. Uh, This is a movie that you had avoided for 25 years. Purposefully, yes. Almost like a full 25 years. Yeah. And then you watched it. You guys, I wish that there could have been more people in the room watching this movie with me to experience this. Because his reactions to what he was seeing 
Like, if I'd have seen this in the theater, I would have had to go up front and give them an extra $10 for this entertainment. I'd be like, I, you didn't charge me enough for this. This is, this is gold. Within the first five minutes of the movie, he was already upset when Batman and Robin clicked their heels together, a la Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, and ice skates pop out of the bottom of their bat boots. That was one of the that was one of the worst things I've ever seen in cinema, period. I hated this movie. It is one of the worst films I've ever seen from direction, production, costumes. It, it, it was... I, did, I loathe this film. Like, I, I mean, Clooney's performance, he was doing this weird... Like, almost like Parkinsonian shaking his head thing throughout the movie. Uh, Chris O'Donnell was doing his best to keep a straight face. And he not always succeeding either. Agreed. Um, at one point, like, we had been trying to get him. Me, Cal, and a few others had been trying to get him to watch this movie for several years now. I thought we killed our chances of getting it when we accidentally let slip about the back credit card. Yeah, that, that that was not the most egregious thing. <laughs> I, um, I think probably my favorite part of watching this film with you was between you really genuinely getting a kick out of Arnold Schwarzenegger in this film because he was the life and soul of this movie. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I I love Arnold, and over the years, my appreciation of what I call high lactose cinema has <laughs> increased. Yeah, and you know, I. I always find Arnold a, a joy to watch, and he was clearly having fun. Yeah. I had to pause the film because I could not breathe for laughing. When they get to Poison Ivy's headquarters, like her little hideout, and Robin gets knocked into the water and gets tied up in the vines, and Batman shows up. Robin goes to stick his head up out of the water to get some air, and they very clearly rewind the yes. footage to put him back into the water. At this point, Ian stood up, threw his hands at the TV, and went, $160 million budget on this! I could not breathe. I thought I was going to die. I, oh my God, I was dying laughing. Seeing Bane incognito wearing <laughs> a trench coat and a hat. I'm, 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 I was completely serious. Bane and Freeze made the movie for me. Uh, I mean, if if no one else enjoyed their work on that film, they absolutely those two did. did. They yeah. absolutely did. It's unfortunate that Jeep Swenson passed away before it came out. He did not get to see that. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, Uma Thurman falling back into the plant that she was sitting in and it catching her, and he's like. Well, she was just sitting in it. Why is it getting her? I mean, I mean, that there were an offensive amount of money was spent on this. It, it wasn't just that. Like, I'm okay with grand productions, but it didn't show. The sets no. looked like something from Power Rangers. Absolutely, the, we the, made that comment several the, times the, during that movie. The wire work was inferior, even for that time. My personal favorite moment of wire work is when Bruce gets knocked off of the gun towards the end and he lands and his feet get caught in it and he promptly puts his arms across his chest like a little bat thing, like, yeah, I'm fine. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I realize that, you know, to watch a film about a man who dresses up as a bat and to beat up people, 
requires a certain amount of suspension of disbelief, but you shouldn't have to completely <laughs> suspend physics when yeah. watching a fight scene. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you, especially with the way that everything gets thawed out after he freezes everything, and it's just, it's it's a mess. It's It, it was genuinely one of the best times I've ever had watching a film. Like, I, before we did this, I was really wondering which of us was going to end up but with the worst end of the stick with what we watched. I think it mostly came out equal, but I think I enjoyed watching you watch this movie more than you enjoyed watching me watch Dragon Ball Evolution. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think my uh, reaction was perhaps a little more emotionally volatile. To I will say this. I am far more likely to rewatch Batman and Robin than I ever am to watch Dragon Ball Evolution. You took that out of my house immediately when you left. I, I will not have it. That's okay, mind. because I'm much more willing to watch Dragon Ball Evolution than I am Batman and Robin. Hey, man. Uh, there's no account for taste in either of us at times. I think one of my favorite complaints that you had about this film, and I think I had a very good technical explanation as to why, is that the film watched like a sci-fi movie channel movie. Yes. Yes. And I genuinely think it's because the DVD that we watched was the was the special commemorative anthology release DVD set. It was the original DVD when it was first released on DVD. And I have an 80-inch flat screen smart TV. I don't think the aspect ratios matched well for it. And I think that's probably why it did not. Certain things were moving a little bit in HD that were not supposed to be in HD while the backgrounds did not. Well, that and, and just the the quality of the the look of the film. I mean, I mean, okay, you can go back, you can watch uh, uh, a Woman, per se, yeah. or, or even a, a Time to Kill. Those movies simply had a certain look. I don't know if it was the film that they used or the the, the cameras that that they shot it with. It, it just it did not look good. It looked like just a very cheap production. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that was uh, that was Batman and Robin. I'm sorry that there's not a whole lot of production notes on this film, but when you Find out how it was written and everything. There's not going to be. People would rather forget that they did this. Yeah, I would. Like, let's be honest. This movie will not be selected by the Library of Congress for preservation. It might be selected by future generations to burn for heat. But yeah. But I'm glad that you came back to watch the movie, and I'm glad you were on this episode. I always enjoy having you and having Cal on my show and having Caleb when he's able to join. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Um... Next week, I'm going to be delivering on Anastasia because that was unable to be a part of Bluthmas because I completely underestimated how the holidays were going to hit, and I just didn't have the time to do the notes. I've already begun on the notes for Anastasia. It'll be a normal-length Kid Kong at the movies episode. After I do Anastasia will be the first Michael Bay Transformers movie. Michael Bay, very rightly so, gets a lot of hell for his movies. Especially the Transformers movies. Of these series, the first Transformers movie and Age of Extinction absolutely hold up the best by far. Those are genuinely enjoyable movies. I don't consider Bumblebee to be part of that series because it takes place before everything else. But I greatly enjoyed Bumblebee as well. Absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to talking about Transformers because the sound effects in this movie are outstanding. They created sounds that did not exist yeah. For this film. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, 
Shia LaBeouf before he realized he could shriek and be funny. He still shrieked and was funny with it, but not nearly as much as in later movies. And then after I do that, we will be jumping into Nacho Libre. As a lifelong professional wrestling fan, I'm going to nitpick the hell out of this movie. I love Jack Black, but it's coming. After that's done, I'll probably be doing an actor showcase. I'm not sure which actor I'm going to be doing. I'm leaning between Dan Aykroyd, Woody Harrelson, and finally doing Jack Nicholson. So if it's Jack Nicholson, I would love for you to join me for that. Absolutely. As was originally planned last year when I did Wolf, unfortunately shit happens. Life gets in the way and we were unable to do that. So we did Bart the Bear instead. Um, Hold on. Do you want to tell him that it's actually... My old copy of Wolf that you have. <laughs> okay, so I have a copy of the movie Wolf. Ian and I worked at Hastings years ago. Ian sold some of his old movies. I don't remember what the reason was. It could have just been you didn't want them anymore, you didn't need them anymore, or you needed something. I don't. I genuinely don't remember. But when I opened the buyback boxes and I saw it in there, I was like, I can't let this go out on the floor because it'll go almost immediately. So I bought it, and I told you. I bought yeah, it. Yeah. I bought his old copy of Wolf. He has borrowed it from me in the past and given it back. That movie never gets old. Never. It's a fantastic movie, and it's one of the big movies that would be talked about in the actor showcase for Jack Nicholson. After that actor showcase, it'll be the second Ninja Turtles movie. And that movie has a special place in my heart, and I'll discuss that when we get there. But this was Batman and Robin. I had a hell of a time watching it, and I had fun recording this. The next time you're going to hear me apart from this, myself and Cal the Kaiju Guy will be discussing John Wick on Caleb's Kung Fu Cinema. But you'll also hear me on on Kaiju Carnage, where Cal and I will be discussing a reader question that was posted, or a listener question rather, that was posted to him about what would have happened if the U.S. had not simply co-opted Godzilla films. What if we had developed our own Kaiju over the years? Yeah. And I'm really, really looking forward to that conversation because Cal's a big, obviously a big kaiju fan, but I'm also a kaiju fan. So we we we're gonna have a we're gonna have a grand old time on that one. But this is Batman and Robin. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you tune in. I'm gonna try and get Anastasia out, not this Sunday because this Sunday obviously is when this one's dropping. I'm gonna try and get back to the once a week schedule as best I can, given that I'm coming up on inventory. Thank you for tuning in. I am Kid Kong. I will see you at the movies.